Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Hashtag Asia Rising. When I drafted the content and recorded this pilot episode back in March, it seemed to capture a very distinct moment in time. Four months later, I believe it's still as relevant, if not more relevant, and we've moved into zeitgeist territory for Asia Rising. Uh, seed for this pilot was planted by some folks on Twitter, Marcus Guest, Ben Ford, Mario Platt, links in the description and show notes. All three share a common interest in complexity and worldly mapping, and are discovering the gems in ancient Eastern wisdom that could be applied to modern times. Uh, when this idea was first seeded, COVID-19 had not yet caused widespread panic in the West. Now we're several months on, and it's astonishing to see the geopolitical power balance of power in a heaving tug of war, uh, west to east in front of your eyes. It's sad that many people conflate China with the uh, Chinese Communist Party, CCP, and it's equally sad that its rich heritage is often used for propaganda. There are heaps of content on the internet about China and China's rise, and I don't think that the historical facts and concepts I can present are particularly unique or esoteric. I can only offer my Chinese diaspora lens on the events we see happening in real time, along with a dose of history and philosophy. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun, and I don't intend to reinvent any wheels that are well-oiled and running. You could trawl Wikipedia and read about Chinese culture there, but it would be rabbit holes with no end in sight. Uh, my intention is to enable uh, Western-educated audiences to understand the deeply layered cultures of the Sinosphere, leveraging on my academic background in linguistics and to leave them with interpretations that would spur them to think more deeply in their contexts. I do not intend to contextualize anything for anyone, which is the trend of, you know, those sort of Sun Tzu out of war in business type of books. Furthermore, to understand a language is to understand its cultures and vice versa. This is why sociolinguistics exist. I won't only focus on the loftier concepts found in our philosophies, but also folksy sayings that help uncover the Eastern psyche. Before I introduce the concept of this pilot episode, I think it would be helpful to take a little bit of time to share more about my background so that you know where I'm coming from. I am third-generation Chinese-Singaporean, and unique in the sense that, unlike most of my generation, I retained my actual mother tongue, which is Cantonese, not Mandarin. Uh, my ancestors fled Canton province, uh, also known as Guangdong or Guangdong in Mandarin, shortly after the uh, rampage of the Xinhai Revolution. Um, so my linguistic loyalties are firmly Southern, and in fact, just under half my DNA is Austronesian. So as you can imagine, there's less in common with Northerners than you might think. All this to say that as a political stance, I will be speaking all the Chinese in this podcast, first in Cantonese, followed by uh, any Hokkien, if I know it, and then Mandarin. I was raised in a post-colonial educational system in Singapore that had moved entirely to English medium instruction uh, by the time it was time for me to go to school. Uh, but through my maternal uncle, I managed to get into his alma mater, which is a special assistance plan or SAP school 
which teaches the Chinese studies at the same level. They teach English, so they call it higher Chinese. Um, I learned Chinese not through the uh, phonetic system of pinyin, but through the traditional system of recognizing characters. Uh, I was also put through Chinese calligraphy lessons, and I learned to read the Chinese Bible in traditional script, uh, not the simplified version. I make no apologies for my preferences and stances. So up until about fifteen or so, my formal education was very Eurocentric.、Uh, I had more conversational knowledge of Greek mythology than I had of the, say, Taoist pantheon of gods. Uh, in an effort to rectify that, I started to teach myself、uh, classical Chinese, which remains to this day one of my proudest achievements.、Uh, I'm supported in this podcast、uh, venture by one of my younger sisters, who also discovered the rich world of our ethnolinguistic heritage when she was 13. I think it would be impossible to grasp a lot of my commentary on this podcast if you don't have an idea. Of where I come from and what shaped me, so hence the few past few minutes delving into my background.、Uh, onto the main event, I'll solicit topics from listeners,、uh, whoever you might be. Although I do already have several core philosophical and metaphysical concepts lined up for exposition.、Uh, after days of deliberation,、uh, you know, as things usually turn out, quite unexpectedly, it was in the shower that you know this concept came to me. So, this concept it's pronounced "tien" in Cantonese or "tian" in Mandarin. It literally means sky, but it's way more than that to Chinese people. It's the cosmos. It's everything under the heavens.、Uh, it's one of the most fundamental concepts to all Chinese philosophies. It's a concept that predates our recorded history in its animistic form. Uh, in Confucianism, it takes on the form of an almost monotheistic deity. In Taoism, it is contrasted with Dai, or Di, the earthly realm. Tian is the source of legitimacy.、Uh, if you compare it to the Roman Empire, where you had auctoritas, which is like social reputation or status, and potestas, which is legal authority. And military authority imperium,、uh, the Chinese had one source. Tian is the wellspring. The emperor proclaims himself the son of heaven, Tianzi, or Tianzi, and a dynasty claims legitimacy through a putative、uh, mandate of heaven called Tianming or Tianming. We we tell our children that Tianyangan, which means the heavens are watching. Uh, to straighten them up or to express resigned fury at injustice,、uh, a popular Chinese Singaporean neologism is "Oh my Tian" in place of "God." So the cosmos is literally God. As with all gods, there's a theological system around this concept. If that piques your interest,、uh, but delving into it would detract from the purpose of this pilot. Tianha Dailun, which means chaos under the heavens. Is the perfect phrase to my mind for our times. The deeper, more unsettling implication for people who understand Chinese culture is that such tianha dailin、uh, situations indicate that rulers know that they are perilously close to losing their mandate of heaven, and that regime change is imminent. If you look closely at today's ruling powers, certain tactical behaviors around obfuscation. 
delay and sheer delusion start to make sense. Righteous rulers seek to preserve their mandate of heaven by ensuring the safety and well-being of their people, who in turn will grant them the mandate to remain in power. Countries such as New Zealand, Taiwan and Estonia are doing quite well so far in that regard. To avoid ending on a glum note, I'd like to remind leaders that we, uh, listeners, that we are a fairly hardy species, even if we do our best to fast track our extinction. These teen heart dialing situations allow those ahead of the curve to understand how seismic shifts can work in our favor to reshape societies and systems that will benefit as many as possible rather than a tiny arbitrary fraction. So until next time, Please, if you found this pilot episode interesting or useful, uh, share on your social media networks, send me questions, which I'll address either directly on the platform they were sent on or in a question and answer section in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time.